Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. We are in Acts chapter 20. Last week we didn't get to meet. I I studied last week and got all ready. And then when it came time again for this week, I studied Acts 20 all over again. have something completely different. You know, I... I, uh, uh, the, the one I had for last week was really, really, really good, okay? The one I have for this week uh, is, is, is for this week. And so we're going to be going to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to be talking tonight about first things first. First things first, all right. Uh, and when you find Acts chapter 20, then, uh, uh, or you can look with me uh, um, here on our screen, and we're going to read... From verse 7 to begin with, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Now, uh, let's, let's catch up here. You know, the Apostle Paul had, in Acts chapter 19, had been in Ephesus. He had done well. He had been there about three years. And it ends up that, that a great crowd rose up against him. You, you may remember if you've read it or if you were here a couple of weeks ago. You know, about 25,000 people poured out into the theater there in Ephesus. And they absolutely, you know, were upset because the apostle Paul had changed their town. People who had been worshiping demons and pagan gods, specifically the great goddess Artemis known also in the Greek as Diana. Uh, and her temple had been there for, you know, near 800 years, 750 years. And, uh, you know, uh, people had stopped worshiping her and stopped buying uh, all the little pagan silver idols. And, and this made the silversmiths mad and they caused a great uproar and ended up that, that you know, uh, it, it got difficult. So chapter 20 begins by saying that when the uproar had ceased, well, the Apostle Paul, you know, re-met with the people and then he left, uh, he left Ephesus and uh, went on his way. And in verse number 7 of chapter 20, uh, the Bible catches us up here uh, because the Apostle Paul had gone on down uh, in, in, in chapter 20 and uh, um, he uh, uh, was on his way back toward Jerusalem. He went back through Philippi. He crossed over the Aegean Sea, and now he's in the town of Troas, okay? Uh, And he's going to be leaving there and making his way back to Jerusalem. But in this city of Troas, which is right today on the northwestern shoreline of Turkey, uh, you may remember it in history. It's right beside the city of Troy, okay? Uh, and you remember the Trojan horse, okay? There's even a mock Trojan horse. Uh, some of you went with me there, and we climbed up in that horse, you know, and in the belly of that horse here uh, uh, just, uh, just three or four years ago. Uh, and uh, there in Troas, the Apostle Paul is visiting with a church, with the leadership, the elders of the church. And um, he knows, as he will later tell some people in another city just in a few days, he knows that this is probably the last time that they're ever going to see his face. And he wants to tell them a few things. And so uh, the Bible says in verse 7, chapter 20, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... 
Now, these things are very important, by the way, okay? Very, very important. God didn't put things in the Bible that aren't important. The Bible tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it is the glory of kings to search it out. God, you know, uh, like, like Jesus speaking in parables. Jesus taught in parables. He taught truth in parables. And, and, and he was asked, why do you always teach in parables? Because the Bible says he did not teach except he taught in parables. And so here uh, people said, why do you teach in parables all the time? He said, because, you know, um, people listening, some people, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And other people will look into the truth. Other people will search the truth. And they will see that truth runs parallel in most instances. And they will gain spiritual wisdom from their natural understanding of these things. And so some people hearing won't hear anything. But it's given to you to hear the parable, to hear something, and to extrapolate truth from it. And all of a sudden, lights begin to turn on on the inside of you. You begin to get revelation from the truth. So that... Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The Bible says that uh, this, uh, this is the will of God and it is the truth. That spiritual things cannot be understood by the natural mind. The Bible says that the natural man, the natural mind does not understand the things of the spirit. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So the way... That Jesus hid the mystery of the kingdom of God is that he hid it in spiritual truth that can only be understood by the spirit and not by the natural mind. The natural person, that means the person who is not born again, the person who does not have the spirit of God shining light on the truth, they will not be able to embrace and understand it. They will not be able to fully get a hold of, 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 of the truth. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden how when the serpent deceived Eve and she chose to disobey the word of God, partake of the forbidden fruit, and her eyes were opened, she gave it to his, her husband and his eyes were opened, and then when God had his exchange with them in Genesis chapter 3, God then began to speak with his heavenly counsel. And he said this, we must remove them from the garden of Eden. Because if we do not get them out of the garden of Eden, it is a potential that they... Adam and Eve and their children that they might partake of the tree of life in their unregenerate condition, in their lost condition, in their purely natural state of living, in their carnal estate of life. They might partake of the tree of life and then they would live forever 
in their sinful state. They would, they, they would have access to the keys to the kingdom. They would have access to the tree of life. They would have access to eternal life. They would have access to eternal truth. They would be able to embrace the eternal truths of God without actually being born again. And that, in God's estimation, would be evidently the very worst thing that could happen for all of creation. Not just for them, it might be okay for them, but it would be horrible for all of God's plans for the rest of eternity to have sinners and sinful people, people who with sin in their lives, people who were not born again to actually have eternal life and access to the heavenly realms and the mysteries of God and to be fully known to actually have all the wisdom of heaven at their disposal in their lost estate. So he put them out of the garden, and then he stationed angels, cherubims with flaming swords to guard the way and to guard the tree of life so that no man in their lost estate, in their darkness, no lost person could ever embrace the eternal truths of God. Now, the Bible doesn't explain it much better than that. But it is not hard to look at the whole counsel of God's word and to see that God was guarding eternity. And he was keeping it away from the hands of natural men. Keeping it out of the grasp of carnal men. So that the best that carnal man can do, the best that man can do without God is a worldly wisdom. That is earthly, sensual, and devilish. It doesn't mean that you can't get wise. It doesn't mean that you can't understand many things. But it does mean that you cannot have the truth of God fall upon you as revelation and as life. And all of a sudden access the keys of eternity. And step into eternal immortality with God. Access to heaven and grace. And access to the throne of God. I mean welcomed at the throne of God. You cannot do that unless you are born again. And that's what Jesus said. He taught in parables. So that some people could not understand the truth. They were unable to embrace it. But for those to whom it was given to know, they can know. Right? Now, God, by the Holy Spirit, has given us keys all throughout the Word of God. I mean, it's like a treasure hunt when you go to the Word of God. And, and, and mysteries. And all of a sudden, as you're reading, revelation begins to come. And understanding. You know, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't fix, you know, uh, uh, you know, me stumping my toe yesterday or something like that. But it, but, but it gives me glimpses of, of, of realities beyond my mortal comprehension. And all of a sudden, 
you know, we begin to understand spiritual things because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot receive, neither can he understand the things of the Spirit, the Bible says. That's why whenever we're talking to people who are not born again, when they're in their natural estate, the natural man, when we try to explain to them heavenly principles or why we do what we do, uh, they, they, they're, 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 you know, it just appears stupid to them, foolish to them. And yet it seems so real to us. I mean, Jesus being born of a virgin, living a sinless life and dying an atoning death is real to me. It is real to me. It's not some fairy tale. It's not equal to any other religion's claim. There is a life on the inside of me that understands it, embraces it, and says yes and amen to it. And it's more than just head knowledge. It is an absolute powerful conviction. That's what holds us steady on course. And so when we go to the Word of God, we have to understand that, that the Holy Spirit wrote intentional things that would guide us along a spiritual pathway for God's greater good, not only for our lives, but also for eternity. So when we read upon the first day of the week, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit you know, had Luke pin those very words. And we can study to show ourselves approved as we rightly divide the word of truth. Able to be used by God. Now, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. And he continued his speech until midnight on the first day of the week. Have you ever noticed how many firsts there are in the Bible? More than 400 times the word first. That doesn't include all the other variations of first, you know. Uh, first fruits, all the other, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Evidently, first are very important to God, these things that are first. In fact, you know, God himself refuses to be second. You know, first is the only thing he wants to be. Uh, first are important to God. The Holy Spirit goes to great lengths to emphasize things that are uh, first are things that should be first. For example, Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 22 talked about the first commandment. He, he, he made a point to emphasize this is the first commandment. And this one is the second one. Okay? I mean, in matter of importance. What is most important, he was asked. What, what, what is the most important? What is the first commandment? What, what, what's the most important? And Jesus said to this man, uh, you shall love the Lord your God. Verse 37, Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. You know, very important. First commandment. The first commandment was important to Jesus. It was important to those around him. It's important to God. It should be important to us. The very first thing that we should do, the very first duty that we have is to love God with all of our heart, with, 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 with all of our soul, with all of our mind, to love God more than we love ourselves. 
That's the first commandment. Jesus also talked, and, 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 and the Word, throughout the Word of God, uh, talks to us about making sure that we put God first. That if you will seek His kingdom first, then everything else will be added to you. You know, you seek first His righteousness, His kingdom, and being right with Him. If you'll put Him above every other pursuit, then everything that you need will be taken care of by Him. The Bible also talks about first fruits. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 26, the Bible says the first of the first fruits. Evidently, it's pretty important to God that the very first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Evidently, that's pretty important to God. That God gets the first. You know, that's the reason why he wanted everything from Jericho. Give me everything from Jericho, he said. Because that's the first city that you're going to conquer. And you give me everything from the first city. And then when we get to the other cities, you can have that. But give me everything, everything from the first. The first of your first fruits bring to the house of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon wrote, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine God wants the first the first is important to God he is looking for us to make sure that we give him and honor him with our first fruits you know what are the first fruits well it's the first fruits it's the first of your fruit the first of your increase you know the first portion of your increase that it's important, whether that's done for you on a monthly basis, a yearly basis, a weekly basis, whatever it may be. I mean, for me, even on my trees, I have some, uh, some uh, uh, fruit trees. Uh, I'm very conscious every year to make sure that the very first is on, uh, honors the Lord. And, and, and I make sure that I do not touch it. I won't, I won't you know, mess, you know, I, 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 I won't consume it at all. It has to, in some way, bless and honor the Lord with a gift or with a sacrifice, you know, uh, uh, just because of, 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 of this heart. I want to make sure God feels honored, and I know that the law required that, you know, and, and, and grace, uh, the, the, you know, God's not looking for dangling you over the fires of hell because you don't keep the law. But nonetheless, it's still important to keep the intent in your heart. And God does something special when we honor him first with our increase. As Solomon said, your, 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 your barns will be filled with plenty. And your, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm having to go rent another storage room tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? I got one more, uh, I, I, I dealt with that and got out of that one for the garage sale. Now I'm back at the place where I have to have another storage room. Isn't that, that is nutty. Why? Because my barns are being filled with plenty and my presses are bursting forth with new wine. And I'll have to find somewhere. I won't keep it very long. I'll find somebody to bless with it. You know, but uh, that, that's, that's, that's the blessing of the Lord. Exodus 22 verse 29. You shall not delay. To offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices, your wine, your oil, those things. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Wow. There's something powerful about the firstborn. Not just the first commandment, not just the first fruits, but something special in God's eyes about the firstborn. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of over uh, all creation. 
the firstborn over all creation. Something powerful about that. Jesus, God looks at him and says, firstborn. Isn't that interesting? Firstborn. Colossians 1 verse 18, talking about Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Firstborn. You know, first commandment, first fruits, firstborn. Uh, the Bible talks about first love, you know, the book of Revelation. Nevertheless, I have this against you, Revelation 2, 4, that you have left your first love. Wow. There's not only first love, but there's first loved. In John, 1 John 4, 19, we love Jesus because he first loved us. You know, first are important to God. First are important. That's why when we get to Acts chapter 20, we need to realize that when we're reading through the Bible and we read something and it, and, 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 and it changes, it begins a new thought. We need to realize that this is a thought evidently that the Holy Spirit wants us to pay attention to. So when we get to verse 7, and we read in Acts chapter 20, it, uh, uh, it, and, and, and it says, you know, on the first day of the week. Well, listen, there are a lot of first day of the weeks in the Bible. It's important. The first day of the week is important to God. In John, the 20th chapter, verse 19, the Bible tells us, Then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week. The same day in which Jesus was resurrected. It was a Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And on that first day of the week, the same day at evening, the same day in which he was resurrected on the first day of the week, being the first day of the week, that evening, that Sunday evening, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Here the disciples were assembled on the first day of the week in the evening. John 20 verse 26 after eight days, what is eight days after the first day of the week? It's another first day of the week. So that next week on a Sunday, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. There is something powerful. The Holy Spirit over and over, especially when he emphasizes something in the mouth of two or three witnesses, it's important to realize that the first that first are important to God, and the first day of the week happens to be very important to God. He's not just writing to us in Acts chapter 20 and just giving us some, some you know, um, um, you know uh, description of what happened that doesn't matter. He's not filling the Bible with idle chatter. In 1 Corinthians... Chapter 16, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, look what he says in verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, they were receiving offerings for the poor in Jerusalem. And they were receiving some missionary funds. It was, you know, we, we want to go and help Jerusalem because Jerusalem is going through a bad economic time and they're going through problems. And so here, uh, the churches all over uh, that part of the world, all the churches were raising an offering so that it could be taken to Jerusalem to help relieve the financial pressure of the church in Jerusalem. Now, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, this is also what I want you to do. Now, 
These same orders were given to the churches in, 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 in that Galatia was a region of, of, of northern Turkey today. And this is what the Apostle Paul was telling all the churches to do. Look what he said, verse 2. This is what I want you to do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, not on the last day of the week. You would think it'd be the last day of the week concerning the Old Testament. Because six days shall you labor. I'm guessing you get paid on day six. And the seventh day you rest. But then on the first day, I want you to come together. Not on the seventh day. I want you to come together on the first day. I'm telling all the churches this, he said. All the churches in the region of Galatia. That on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, lay, lay, lay something aside, storing up. That means I want you to begin to mount up an offering. Store up an offering. <clears throat> As he may prosper. That, the only way that you can, can give an offering in the same measure as you are prospered is by percentages, by the way. Okay? Uh, there is no other way to do it. You cannot arithmetically uh, uh, calculate a commensurate increase in offering. It has to be geometrically, it, it, it has to be a percentage so that everything, so that God increases in the same measure that you increase. God is all about measures. You know, give, it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed on, shaking, with the same measure you give, it'll be measured to you again in like kind. And the only way that, that you can do this in like measure, in like kind, would be for you to decide to set aside, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give 1%, I'm going to give 2% to, to Jerusalem fund. I'm going to start giving 1% to, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to the work in Thailand. Something, you know, th this is something that, that, that Brenda and I have done for all of our uh, time that we have been serving the Lord. We give in percentages. Because that way, God can calculate very easily how much he needs to bless me if he wants to bless somebody I'm blessing. That makes sense. I kind of like that. It puts us in partnership. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm also in partnership with people. You know, I've, I've, I've been in a lot of business partnerships. I'm in one right now. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I, I have a percentage. I like percentages. I don't necessarily, you know, want, you know, I don't want $1,000 a week. Because, you know, $1,000 a week would look good to begin with. But then in the first year, we made a million and 40 bucks. I would love to have had a percentage of that. Because it, you know, hello. So, you know, percentages work. That's the only way to be in a partnership that I'm, that I mean, I, I don't know. Outside of that, I'd just be an employee. Hello. Are we okay? I'm in partnership with God. We're in a, we're, we're in a partnership here. He gets a percentage of everything I get. He knows exactly how much to give me if he wants anybody in my world to get any, a part of it. Isn't that, that's not a bad deal. Hello, it's not a bad deal. You know? Ah. So here, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to them. He said, I've told all the churches the same thing. On the first day of the week, when you're coming together, lay aside, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In the same measure that you're prospering. So that there'd be no collections when I come. So I'm not having to come there and, you know, do some, you know, you know, give, we need more. Oh, you know, you know, you should give a little more. You didn't give but 10 cents. You need to give a little more, you know. Uh, but at any rate, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm not against giving extra. We do that as well and on occasion and to meet needs and, and, and to sow seeds. But there should be some consistent, uh, you know, commitments in our life to be a blessing in the same measure that we are blessed. God blesses us to make us a blessing so that, so that the kingdom of God increases, we increase. And that's what he's saying. And he said specifically for it to be done on the first day of the week. Revelation uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 10 uh, you know uh, John the revelator this is what he says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day <laughs> that's the first day of the week that's the day in Jesus was resurrected it's the day that the Holy Spirit was sent it's the day that that uh, that uh, you know uh, all these things you know it's the day that the collection is supposed to be uh, you know uh, it, it, it's it's you know it's the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voices of trumpet you know Jesus met with him just like he met with them in, in you know after his resurrection he met with them on the first day the next Sunday Jesus came back to the to, to the disciples meeting you know and 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 then you know uh, so uh, the disciples had a habit of gathering together. God is a God of order, and God is a God of repetition. God is a God of, of doing things in order and doing things over and over and over and over. Look at the feast. Look at the sun coming up. Look at the rotation of the stars. God is a God of order and a God of repetition. Okay? And so uh, when, whenever we read in Acts chapter uh, uh, 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week, that should go ding in our head, and we should realize that, that this was in order. This was, this was something they did every week. This was something they did every first day. Every, the first, every Sunday, on Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached. That looks pretty much like a picture of our Sunday, doesn't it? Yeah. Ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. That looks a little bit different than what our church services does, right? In fact, Paul actually preached until daylight, not just midnight. It's my best estimation, and I really do believe that the Holy Spirit's intent here is to present us with the significance of Sundays. And it is okay if God wants to create a special day. He did in the beginning. And then when Christ came, he did it under a new covenant. Sundays are a special day to God. They just are. It would, it, we, we would have to go way off somewhere to not realize this. I mean, we would have to deny Scripture after Scripture after Scripture and deny that God likes first and is something special about first. Here, uh, committing this first day of the week to him is very important. Under the old covenant, God did all the work and rested, and we rested with him under the old covenant and all that he did. In the new covenant, he is sending us out to what he, for what he wants to do, and our week needs to be blessed so that we can go out. So we sanctify the whole week by offering God some of our attention on Sunday as we come together with Sunday. Saints, you know, uh, um, you know, although we should all maintain a daily devotion, a daily prayer life, and worship God every day, we should live our witness, we should share the good news with others, yet we need to make time in our busy lives to gather together every week with the saints. This is Bible. 
It's what the 20th chapter of Acts teaches us, that it is solid Bible doctrine and God's intent for people to join together, forsake not the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is, but on this special day. It's important, just like it was in Acts, the second chapter, verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 7, tells us the day on which these things were to take place. Even if they happened on, on, on more often, Sundays, the Lord's day according to the Apostle John, is a very powerful and special day. Not a legalistic day. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus would say about the Sabbath that the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. You were not made for Sundays. Sundays was made to bless you. Sundays were set aside by God. Sundays are hallowed and blessed and sanctified by God. The first day of the week is, is, is a special day in your week for God. Now, there's nothing special about a Sunday, magical about the day in itself. But it's how we approach God consistently in offering to him the first of our week to God. Uh, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul would write, uh, to the Corinthians, that some people esteem one day above another, every, uh, other people esteem every day alike. You know, you, you shouldn't just look at, at, at Sunday or Saturday, in that case he was talking, uh, about, you know, you're not made to worship Saturday, and you're not made to worship Sunday. But Sunday was made for you to worship. And thank God... In our Western world, Sunday has been carved out of our world by the hand of God. So that we generally, not everyone, shift workers and, and hospitals and, you know, and, and, and first responders, not everyone, and even everyone, not every day, uh, uh, every week, but for the most part, by and large, Sundays are a gift from heaven in which we can recognize God as we come together to study His Word and to hear the preaching of the Word of God, just like it was intended all the way back from the time when Jesus was first resurrected on that Sunday morning. That evening, He went to where the disciples were gathered and He gave them a message of the glorious gospel. Wow. Sundays have been special ever since. Why did he preach? Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 7, teaches us that preaching is a part of our Sundays. Why? Because of 1 Corinthians 1.21, the second part of that verse says that it pleases God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Through preaching, it's foolish. You remember the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit? But it's through the foolishness of preaching that the natural man is enticed by the Holy Spirit, sitting in a place. There's something powerful about sitting in a place 
that is hallowed and sanctified where two or three are gathered together in his name and the word going forth as God is always intended and it covering the people and saturating them for some period, some moment, some season that they are so enticed by the Holy Spirit to believe it so that through the foolishness of hearing one person rant and rave about, about Jesus Christ and the word of God, people get saved. It's the most awesome phenomenon that God has given to us to bring our friends, our family, our enemies, our neighbors into a place where the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth under an anointing of the Holy Spirit and people get saved. Well, and there are occasions when devotion to God and service to the church or support for world mission demands that we stay a little longer, give a little more of our energy, our effort, our time.